Welcome to BSD Talk number 125. It's Wednesday, August 15, 2007. In the news, NetBSD has announced their 2007 fundraising campaign. They hope to raise at least $50,000 US by the end of the year. All right, now on to the interview. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Matthew Dillon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And the reason I wanted to have you back on BSD Talk today for a couple reasons. One, the release of Dragonfly 1.10, and also maybe an overview of the last five years of Dragonfly. But you've had a recent release. Could you talk a little bit about Dragonfly 1.10? Uh, the 1.10 1. release is, boy, how to describe it? There's just a ton of things in it. No big ticket items, but just cleanups in pretty much every aspect of the system. We've had the uh, FreeBSD ATA driver, the new one, in the tree for a year, and we've made that the default. That's the one with native driver handling for, uh, it's called AHCI for, for SATA drives. We've got a new disk abstraction layer. I'm just going through the, uh, the list here. We've got non-booting support for GPT and 64-bit disk labels. Our user land threading, um, well, our lightweight processes are all in the kernel now and basically done. And we've modified one of our threading libraries to use them. We have two threading libraries, uh, libcr and libthreadzoo. And libcr is still the default. That's the original BSD threading library, the one that doesn't really, you know, uses our fork. It's, it's not all that good. But hopefully by the two over at the end of the year, we'll be able to have switched to LibThreadZoo, which uses our lightweight process infrastructure. That one-to-one threads? Yeah, well, actually, LibCR, does it use, I'm trying to remember if it uses R-Fork or whether it uses Select. I think, I think it uses Select. I'm not quite sure. But, yeah, it's pretty inefficient. Um, but, yeah, the uh, LibThreadZoo, it's basically one-to-one threading, kernel threads, um, kernel native threads, which is very different from our fork. Uh, and it's generally speaking, uh, the lightweight process infrastructure is much, much cleaner than the R fork infrastructure that we inherited. And a bunch of other things. Uh, lots of new devices, USB and PCI devices, um, new drivers, ton of wireless networking stuff, and, you know, application updates, kernel updates, compiler updates, you know, pretty much everything. And how close does this release bring us to the much-wished-for cluster of systems that all appear as one? Well, the nice thing about this release is that pretty much all of the infrastructure support work uh, required to support the clustering work is done. Uh, so we've kind of gone over a hump. Actually, we, we got over the hump late last year. And so now all the work going in, uh, well, all the work that I'm doing now from this point on is pretty much going to be related to the clustering, and it's going to start with a new file system, uh, which I'd hoped to have in by this release, but a lot of things came up, so it's going to, it's going to uh, be end of year, hopefully, for the new file system. 
and after the new file system, then we'll get into actual uh, network clustering. But you can't really have clustering unless you have a cluster file system. So the file system comes first. And is that file system still in the design phase, or do you have some code working? It's just past the basic design stage. There's still some issues with how I'm going to index the records, but pretty much everything else is past the design stage. And so I've just started to code it up. Uh, I'm coding up our much-touted userland DFS interface at the same time with the idea of uh, building the file system in userland first. But it's turning out that our virtual kernel technology is, is so nice that I may just do the file system directly in kernel land and use the virtual kernel as a test bed. Yeah, I think the last time we talked was just when you were implementing the virtual kernel. Has that been really helpful for development? Uh, the virtual kernel has been invaluable. We've got uh, we've had a UP virtual kernel for a while. A lot of people have have put in a little edge case commits to clean up the console, clean up various aspects of it. And then someone said, "Hey, why don't we make it SMP?" And uh, it turned out not to be too difficult to do. And so the current virtual kernel is actually you can build it SMP. And while you know, for production purposes, it's not really all that efficient to run an SMP virtual kernel. It's still great for debugging stuff. And uh, I've used it, a number of people have used the virtual kernel for working on kernel code in a safe environment. Yeah, I'd say it's been invaluable for that. And have you done any benchmarks on the new 1.10 release? Well, I expect they would be about the same as 1.8 was. As far as benchmarks goes, it, it comes down to how well the big giant lock has been moved inward. Um, it has been in, moved inward some, but the syscontrols for 1.10 still basically just tell it to use the big giant lock uh, for stability. But after we rolled 1.10, we turned off two of those syscontrols. So we've got the syscall path MP safe up until it hits the file descriptor. Well, through the file descriptor up until it hits it's the I.O. subsystem. And since most benchmarks are, have I.O. of some sort or the other, I wouldn't expect a huge change because the I.O. subsystem is still uh, locked up. At this point, what are you scaling up to when it comes to multiprocessor systems? Uh, well, I'm not sure I would describe it as scaling up to anything. I mean, the, the kernel can support up to 31 CPUs, but the fact that you have the big giant lock has a tendency to limit well, it tends, tends to serialize operations inside the kernel. And even when it doesn't serialize operations inside the kernel, uh, when you have one CPU holding the big giant lock and another one needs it, that other CPU winds up spinning. So until we can actually get rid of the big giant lock, I wouldn't expect it to scale you know, well, at least in terms of benchmarks past for CPUs. Are there any features that you were working on that were something that you were looking to do specifically for your use and your purposes of Dragonfly? No, most of the features that have gone in, well, I mean, all of the infrastructure changes have been by design. That's things like the lightweight thread, the kernel thread scheduler, um, the user schedule. We have pluggable user schedulers now, although we still only have one scheduler. We have user scheduler masking, you know, things, things like that. Uh, we've got all in there now, and most of those have been ideas that that I kind of thought up of and wanted to do. Um, a lot of the other stuff are rewrites that just had to happen in order for there to be any chance of doing clustering. 
uh, things like the name cache, changing the name cache, topology, changing uh, the VFS operations, uh, stuff like that. How about the growth of the developer team? Uh, the developer team has actually grown more in the last year than it has in the last two years. We've got a couple more people on the team, and more importantly, we've got people that are making commits on the team. So we're getting a lot more commits. Uh, I think from just the beginning of the year, we've had something like, I don't know, 1,500 commits, which is, uh, it took a while to go through it just to make the list for the release. What about software outside of the base system? How is that growing? Uh, that's basically package source-based software. And uh, the package source software uh, has, has uh, become a lot more compatible over the last year. Uh, things run a lot more smoothly, uh, you know, build a lot more smoothly, fewer problems. I'm pretty happy with package source. And maybe taking a look back over the past five years, because I believe it was about five years ago that Dragonfly forked from FreeBSD. How, how are things been progressing towards your final goals? Is it going as quickly as you had anticipated, or what are some of the major roadblocks? Well, if you had asked me five years ago, I would not have expected it to take five years to get to this point. So things have been progressing considerably slower than I originally thought they would. But on the other hand, most of my time is filled up doing Dragonfly things. So I think it was more a matter of not predicting the sheer volume of work that was needed. And especially these reformulations uh, inside the kernel, they took much, much longer than originally anticipated. But now they're all done, and we can actually change focus and start moving into the actual clustering goals of the system. One of the, one of the things that has really come up actually in five years of work is that I find myself spending a lot of time doing ancillary things like managing other developers, like managing commits, like tracking down bugs. And that's probably a pretty large contributor to why I haven't been able to uh, make more progress on you know, the actual goals of the system. And at this point, five years on, do you think of Dragonfly as an experimental fork of FreeBSD that might merge changes back in, or is it really becoming a separate project that's going to always go its own way? I wouldn't consider it experimental anymore. And the main reason for that is that at this point, we have a fairly well-proven track record of stability, which is a main prerequisite for any sort of production system. And we have package source. And so we have access to the applications that people need to run in production systems. So, uh, you know, it's as far as any BSD or Linux operating system goes, you know, in that paradigm, uh, it Dragonfly is you know, roughly equivalent to, to any of those. And now that you've pushed 1.10 out the door, what are you looking to bring into the next version? Well, it's going to be in the next version, uh, and the, pretty much the sole thing I'm working on from here to the end of the year is going to be a new file system. It's something that BSDs have badly needed for a while now to compete with, uh, compete with Linux. And when you do cluster with a clustering file system, will your clustering solution be locked to that particular file system, or there, will there be a choice of other clustering file systems? Well, when you're doing a clustering system that's natively integrated into the kernel, which is the type of clustering that we're doing, it really doesn't matter whether the file system itself is clustered or not. 
insofar as the cluster goes. But when it comes to having the cluster be able to run reliably, then you do really need a, a distributed file system just by virtue of the fact that, you know, if the file system's running on one system and something happens, then your whole cluster gets dependent on that file system goes down. And will this file system assume low latency links or will it work over wide area links? What you mean as far as an NFS-like connection? Yeah. Um, basically, looking at a clustered file system generally, or, or actually even better, think of it as a replicated file system. So let's say you have a cluster of 10 boxes and you have a file system that's rec- replicated in three places, multi-master. So any accesses to that file system on machines that have local data for the file system cache runs pretty much at, at, at buffer cache speeds very fast. And part of the reason why you want to do a, a, a native integrated clustering system is to have uh, cache coherency integrated into the kernel natively as well uh, at the kernel layer, not at the file system layer. So well, once you get to the point where you're able to have a cache coherency system that's able to maintain cache data buffers on a system, whether or not the file, the file system is local, uh, at that point, you pretty much avoid the network latency issues involved. So the only latency issues that wind up occurring are when you're, doing, when you're manipulating data that's not in the cache and you have to bring it in the cache, or when you need to do a synchronization of some sort, you know, an F-sync, you know, like a database might have to do. Or if you're copying massive amounts of, of data, although in the case of copying massive amounts of data, you're limited to network speed regardless, and latency isn't really an issue. So I would say generally the file system is not dependent on there being low latency links. I was just imagining the joys of a cluster of systems where you could have a hot site somewhere else and not really have to do much manual synchronization. Um, I actually wrote a follow-up, which I should have put in the release notes, but I didn't, on some of the features of the file system. And one of the big features of this file system is it's record-oriented internally, uh, which means that when you're doing a streaming backup, or more importantly, you're doing a live mirror or, or a live replication of the file system, it's very, very easy, the algorithm to replicate the data and, and keep things in sync, in sync winds up being uh, greatly simplified. And so uh, when you're talking about the file system, you're talking about making backups of the file system, having native snapshot capability where it's actually, since it's record-based, it's not destroying any information unless you specifically tell it to. So you get all that pretty much for free. And that really becomes an enabler for any sort of cluster operation and even for non-cluster operation. If you just, you know, want to use the features to implement a backup, for example, over a slow link, you can do that because it's able to do the replication without having to, to queue the data or without having to maintain a queue of changes. Are you familiar with queuing for database replication? A little bit. Well, basically, there are two ways you can do it. If you have two databases and uh, you've got a master and a slave and you're trying to replicate from the master slave, uh, when you're doing transactions on the master, uh, you can, every time you do a transaction, generate a record into a queue 
which is basically, you know, like in a, a file that you're appending to, of the changes, which then get streamed over to the backup. Uh, that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is that you don't actually keep a separate queue. You stream the data directly from the database store itself. And when you have a file system that maintains a history, natively maintains a history of all the changes that have been made, you can get all that data directly from the file system and not have to maintain a separate queue. And what this means is that you can have your replication or your backup running over a much slower link uh, than you would otherwise need to have because you don't have this issue of a queue building up gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of data because the target can't keep up with the changes. And you can also have offline backups where a backup is offline most of the time, but then you know comes online over the weekend or something like that. And you can just pick up where you left off. And when it goes offline again, you know, who cares? It doesn't create a any sort of backup on the master. And that's one of the main principles of this file system as well. So we want to be able to do backup operations. We want to be able to do live mirroring, you know, even uh, hot switchovers or multi-master operation, which is then getting into more of a cluster type operation later on. Uh, we want to be able to do all that without creating situations where uh, glitches in the network or slow links or, or other issues cause your production system to slow down or back up or, you know, or basically screw up. Well, it's an ambitious project. It is fairly ambitious. Uh, I think the file system is going to be one of those big ticket items that that will get probably a lot more press than all the infrastructure changes that have gone in to date. At least I'm hoping. <laughs> Most of the work that has gone in to date exists elsewhere in some form or another. Um, like for example, you know, light lightweight processes. You know, people have native threading systems for Linux or native threading systems for FreeBSD. NetBSD, OpenBSD have R fork. It's not a huge improvement over those systems. It's an improvement and a necessary one, but not so huge that it generates interest you know, just by itself. Whereas a new file system will, especially a new file system with native capabilities that are needed, uh, will generate a lot more interest. So when you're not working on that or sleeping, are you going to have time to work on any projects outside of Dragonfly? At least till the end of the year, Dragonflies is what I'm focused on. Are there any other topics that you wanted to talk about? Did we miss anything? We could talk about userland VFS a little, although it's kind of it's kind of a side topic uh, to everything else going on. Some of the work that we did that's in 1.10 uh, was to make the VFS, that is the file system APIs, uh, considerably more robust than they have been in the past. So, for example, in 1.10, if you mount a USB hard drive, you can pull the USB hard drive without the kernel blowing up, uh, something that has been you know, fairly difficult to accomplish in previous years. And, uh, and you can unmount it after you pull it. And that work is kind of a prerequisite to having a userland VFS interface, which is basically the ability to uh, mount a file system where the file system is implemented as a userland process. You need to be able to kill the userland process 
you know, even just unexpectedly, you know, kill minus nines and not have the system blow up. It's okay if the system returns IO errors or anything trying to access it, but you don't want to have the system blow up. And uh, we've actually uh, made a lot of progress in that area uh, with the USB, and it translates directly over into being able to support uh, a used to land BFS. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Sure. Thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk, number 125.